who are we? How do we see and experience the world? What are the hidden forces that drive us? Why do we act, think, and feel the way we do? And how can we become our best, most authentic selves? Welcome to Typology, a series of freewheeling conversations in which we use the Enneagram typing system to explore the mystery of the human personality. I'm Ian Cron. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Typology. We are so excited that you're part of our family and listening today. Before we get going with this amazing show, I just have a couple of things I want to tell you. First is, if you don't know very much about the Enneagram and you're still kind of scratching your head as you listen to these shows, you can learn more in a really pretty quick and efficient manner. You can go to our website, typologypodcast.com, download the beginner's chapter from my book titled Finding Your Type, or you can download and listen to the episode titled Introducing Typology and the Enneagram. Finally, if you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review because it helps other folks find our show. So today, I mean, I have been looking forward to this show for weeks. A few weeks back, I hosted a panel of four of my guy friends, all of whom are nines on the Enneagram, two of which, by the way, are spouses of two of the people I have in this room today, which is awesome. And that show exceeded my expectations. It is now holding the record as the most downloaded episode on typology. And today, because I promised people that I would host a panel of women friends of mine to talk about their Enneagram journey, I have in the studio with me four of my favorite women in the world. I also have a bottle. We had last time we had beers with the boys, and today we have wine with the women. Katie, is that is it is it meeting with your approval? This this wine is it? I love Argentinian wines. You love Argentinian wines. Okay, great. So we got a little Gascon Malbec here on the table. No telling what four women's sixes. We're going to talk about sixes today are like under the influence. This is going to be good. It's going to be fantastic. So welcome to Katie Williams, to Leslie Jordan, to Jill Phillips, and Francie Likas. We are so glad that you guys are here. Thanks for having us, Ian. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Oh, good. Thanks, Get up right on those mics, guys. We need to hear you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Fantastic. All right. So to begin, we're talking about sixes today and your journey of sixes. And I just want to go around and have you guys introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do, what you're about, all that stuff. So Jill, let's start. Let's start with you. Well, I'm Jill. I am a singer-songwriter. I've lived in Nashville for um my gosh, I I guess coming up on 20 years now. I came to Nashville as a student at Belmont University, met my husband here, stayed. Um I'm the parent of three kids. I have two teenagers um, and a 10-year-old, so 15, 13, and 10. That takes up about 99.9% of my brain space. That's right. And can I just say that last night you took your 15-year-old Drew to what concert? Um, Kendrick Lamar. (laughs) (laughs) This is parenting at its best, ladies and gentlemen. I know, I know. Was it awesome? It was. Yeah, pretty great. It was awesome. It was great. 
Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. So, Leslie, tell us about you. Get up on that mic and tell us about you. Because, you know, Katie is going to just totally hog that mic. She's a mic hog. All right. Well, my name is Leslie Jordan, and uh, I have lived in Nashville for, I guess I moved here in 2003. So, my husband's the math guy. I'll let you guys figure that out. Um, and uh, been married for eight years, uh, led worship and, and written songs for the church for the last eight years, seven years, and a band called All Sons and Daughters. And uh, we're currently taking a break from the road, so I get to be home and do fun stuff like this yeah. with people I love. I'm so excited that you are home. Hey, tell folks about what you're teaching right now, because I think that's really exciting. Yeah, so um, last year I went to a, a workshop on uh, creative writing and writing as a spiritual practice. And so being a songwriter, it was very new to me and um, loved it and loved the idea of combining songwriting with this practice of creative writing. And um, and so I went and got certified to teach these workshops. It was a 40-hour certification. I've been out of school for 10 years, so it was like, oh, no, I have to study and things. But it was awesome. And uh, so I'm in my second round of workshops right now, and I got a lot of songwriters who are uh, experiencing a different kind of expression and finding their original voice in a, in a really safe environment. And yeah. so it's, it's been something that I've needed. And so I think there's the benefit of that and, um, right. and I'm getting so much out of it. And, and I hope the folks are too, that are a part of it. Well, I'm, I'm sure they are. And I've heard nothing but really great things about it. I'm sure you're thanks fantastic. By the way, I forgot to mention Jill is the wife of Andy Gullihorn, who was here last week. And now I want to introduce Katie Williams or have her introduce herself. And Randy Williams, who was here last week, is her husband. So, Katie, tell us about you. Well, my name is Katie. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, let's see. I am a Texas native. Why is it that Texans always tell you within the first minute of knowing them that they're from Texas? Am I right on that? You're, I mean, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't talk about where I was from. I didn't, I didn't talk about where you were you from. You know, people from Connecticut don't yeah. say, oh, hi, my name's so. Ian and I'm from Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. They don't do that. Am I no. supposed Andy's to feel shame no. right yeah. now? No. That's right. It's state so, shaming. State I'm shaming. a Texas native. <laughs> And I've lived in Nashville for about 11 years, and I've been married almost 10 of those. Um, I moved here because I met my husband in Texas, and he said he couldn't come uh, home uh, back to Texas, where he's from originally. And um, so I moved here, and I did a corporate job, but hated it. (laughs) I remember. I know. And... uh, yeah, so a couple years ago, I left corporate America and started my own company with interior design. And you are an amazing interior designer. It's true, folks. I mean, I don't really know how to receive that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. Francie, tell us about you. Hi, I'm Francie. I um, I love Texas State Pride. I just want to honor that, Katie. I'm from Alabama. We don't yes. we don't have, we don't get all that same thing. I came here in '89 to go to Vanderbilt. Um, and I've lived here most of the time since then. I took a detour to North Carolina briefly. Um, I'm married to Zan. He has adult children, so I'm the stepmother of adult children. I am uh, was not called to be a mother. I was called to be an aunt. And so I have two nieces who I adore and see all the time. They'll be super excited they made the podcast. They're very into things like that. <laughs> Um, I am a nurse practitioner and a midwife. I do not. You're a midwife. I am a midwife. How cool is that, guys? That's really cool. Midwife. Wow. Sweet. Love that. Um, 
And I do not do clinical work anymore. I'm the editor of the journal uh, for midwives in the United States. Whoa. I was at a cocktail party recently, and I said that, and someone said, I've never met anyone who does that. And I was like, that's because I'm actually the only the editor <laughs> of the journal of mid- for midwives in the United wow. States. So there's Whoa. one. Um, and I have a textbook that I co-edit. So I just basically mostly am a writer and an editor. So we have a midwife, an interior designer, two singer-songwriters in the room. And I can tell you right now that the room is very hot. Last week when the four guys were here, I have to tell you, it started to smell like a bad sweat lodge. I'm so <laughs> delighted to have you here. because I was so pretty far, worried. I put on extra Dio. You oh, know. good. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> I just didn't know. That's helpful. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Now, you it's guys are— everybody. You are all sixes. And so just for those folks who are new to the Enneagram, let me just say a few things, but I'm not going to say very much because I want you to describe what, what sixes are like. But sixes are— uh, often called the loyalists. Sometimes they're called the devil's advocates. And uh, we talk a lot about underlying motivations here, like what is beneath the waterline of consciousness, you know, that explains some of the characteristics and traits. What What is it that influences or drives the ways that each type typically or habitually thinks, acts, and feels, right? And so for sixes, the underlying motivation is to feel secure and safe in the world. Their deadly sin or their passion is fear. And I'm going to let you guys maybe unpack what fear means in the life of sixes, because it's not quite what people probably think. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say about sixes. I'm going to let you guys sort of uh, help people see the world through your eyes and get their feet into your shoes, if that's okay, because it's kind of a gross idea, I know. But, you know, we're going to let people do that. I want to start just by asking, what is life like for you all as sixes? And it's open mic, you know what I mean? Like, so, so just go for it. Like, if someone said to you, what's life like for a six, what would you say? Um, this is Jill. I'll go first. I feel like one of the first things that comes to mind for me is people and duty mm. and common good. I think about that stuff all the time. And I think it took me a long time to realize that not everybody was thinking like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I sort of assume that people are thinking about my common good in the same way that I'm thinking about theirs. I am super loyal. I would say I have long friendships with people. I've been at my church for a long time. I'm involved in things, um, you know, where we sort of get involved in our communities and in our neighborhoods and that sort of thing. Um, I, yeah, I would say that's sort of a summation of what comes to mind. You know, one of the things I love about sixes is they're guardians, you know, sometimes they're called the guardians and, and they're guardians of, I think, what's best about human community. And I think that's what you mean by common good, right? Yes. Like very committed to things like church, to family, to they're like the glue that holds the universe together. By the way, just so you all know, sixes, this is totally honest, I'm not blowing smoke, are one of my favorite numbers on the Enneagram. Like when I come across healthy sixes, I just gravitate toward them because generally speaking, they're incredibly funny and grounded people. And I, I'm a four. I can use all the grounding and get my hands on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can use a lot of grounding here, people. I'm a kite without a string, and sixes are great string, man. So, great. What else is it like? What? Tell me, one, another one of you, tell me what life is like for you as a six. 
So I, I love what you said, Jill. This is Francie. I, um, I would say some of being a six feels like a push and a pull. It's hard for me to make an important decision, but I don't want you to make that decision for me. Oh. <laughs> right? Um, I'm scared you're going to leave me, but I don't want to be dependent on you. So I feel sometimes like a lot of push and pull, but part of the Enneagram, maybe I didn't understand that about myself, and now I'm having to own up to that. Um, but I definitely, that's some of it. And then I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but the whole sort of underlying fear thing, which I think is really interesting what you said about um, it's not necessarily always what people think. So I think we'll, we'll probably talk about that more in a minute. But I would say adding to what you said, Joel, this this sort of push and pull of different things. Right. Cool. Katie or Leslie, tell us a little bit, either one of you. Go ahead. Sometimes, this is Katie, I would say being six is like walking into a room and just pointing my finger at everyone saying you're all liars. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Is that dark? Is that dark? (laughs) Totally kidding. Not really. But um, I think I have a little picture that I can paint um, that definitely describes me being a six and what that internally feels like. But um, when I was in college, um, I can flip back and forth quickly from counterphobic to phobic. And I'm Mm. sure you'll explain a little bit of that later. But um, so... I was going up to my apartment. It was super early in the morning, late at night, however you want to look at it. But uh, And I walked up f- through my stairwell. and You walked through uh, well, your stairwell? Oh, sorry. I went up the stairs, but I didn't <laughs> flip on the light, um, which is super counterphobic at 2 a.m., you know. So I just took the first step. And when I stepped, there was a homeless man under my feet. And so it was, like, super counterphobic to, like, not flip on the light. But then when I stepped on this man, every ounce of blood in me ran cold and so it was like intense phobia and this thing came out of me that was a I guess a coping mechanism that was just like a gorilla <laughs> that I've never heard that noise since then can you just do it for us right now uh, no no not in a tiny home like this but um and so <laughs> this noise just came out of me that I've never heard really since then and it was just fear to the nth degree but once that was over with, I mean, the man was trespassing, but... You stepped on him, though. I did step on him. That's really sad. But he was very tall, giant. And, um, but when I stepped on him, after I calmed down, I sat with him. And because he had trespassed, unfortunately, the cops had to come. But I sat with him, whether he deserved that or not. Mm. But because he was a person and, and to, I don't know, honor his dignity. Mm. And so... It was, it was like in a matter of two minutes, I went from counterphobic to phobic to honor and sitting with, like, you may not deserve this, but I'm, give, but I'm giving this to you yeah. because you're human. Mm-hmm. And so you're really highlighting a hallmark feature of sixes, which is they really, a little bit like eights, are champions for underdogs. I mean, they really genuinely care about people, and they just... They just seem to be people who do the right thing by human beings, you know, in caring for people in community. All right, Leslie, it's down to you. Tell us about what life's like as a six. Great. It's real complicated, Ian. (laughs) 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 Super complicated. Uh, It's, you know, worst case scenario. And I didn't know. I didn't. I've heard people say that my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll give you this example. I watched dumb shows as a kid. That I shouldn't have watched. Like, I like what? What'd Rescue nine one one. Before I knew I was a six. Like mm-hmm. if I had the enneagram when I was nine years old, it would have been real helpful. 
do not watch Rescue 911. But I did in this particular episode. My sister's babysitting me, so she's three years older than me. And we watched this episode, and it's about a girl who's having a sleepover with her friends. And they go downstairs, and the dad comes down to wake them up, but they're, they won't wake up because there's carbon monoxide in the house. Oh, my gosh. Dun, dun, dun. So then I immediately assume, because my sister and I are home alone, that our house is full of carbon monoxide. And so then I try to convince her that we have to sit out on the porch until our parents get home if we want to survive. That's, I would say, what being a six feels like sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Is that whatever the worst possible situation is, it's going to happen to you. And if you don't get ahead of it, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. And so I would say... I've spent the majority of my life, I think, being a phobic six. Um, But as I've learned about the Enneagram, uh, I've moved more, I think, into health. And I've I've seen the balance of the counterphobic, the the beauty of actually having two sides Mm. uh, to this number. I honestly feel like um, we lucked out that we have we have those two elements of it because we go um, even in my lack of bravery some days, I think, um, well, there's this other side to me that may show up and counterbalance that tomorrow. Right. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like being ambidextrous, right? You yeah, can, a little bit. You have sort of the ability to write with both your yeah. right and left hand. So let's let's just kind of zero in on this phobic, counterphobic thing because for people who are new to the Enneagram, uh, it would be helpful, I think. So sixes are the only number on the Enneagram that has two variants. Ones are called phobic sixes, and the others are called counterphobic sixes. Now, and you guys jump in at any point. So sixes, as a rule, um, are very focused or their attention generally migrates. So every number, I think, you know, they walk into a room as they do life, their attention tends to migrate toward something, mm-hmm. right? So for example, uh, for me as a four, my attention immediately migrates to what's missing. You know, I walk into a space, I just like, what's missing? You know, I'll go, oh, the aesthetics are wrong, or you know what I mean? Or or what's missing in who I'm talking to, right? You know, if you were a one, your attention would migrate to what's wrong. You know, the errors that you are picking up in the world around you and perhaps in the people around you or and in yourself, right? So for sixes, they're very fixed on authority. It's a major issue for sixes. Now, a, a phobic six is someone who would rather submit than rebel to an authority figure. Hmm? And they really want to sometimes ingratiate the the authority figure in order to make sure, because they tether their security and their safety to whoever that authority is. They're thinking, okay, you are in charge of my safety or security. I got to remain on the good side of you. And so I'm going to, this is why teachers love six children. Do you know what I mean? Because they bring the apple and they follow like little ducklings. Their eyes are just constantly on the authority figure. Now, counterphobic sixes um, would rather rebel than submit. And in a way, I always think about how these people, they don't even look like sixes. I mean, you know what I mean? And sometimes they're mistaken for eights because they can be very aggressive, right? So they're watching that authority figure. And I'm telling you, if, if that person, talk about hidden agendas, Candy, like sixes are gener- generally speaking in the beginning with other people suspicious. You know what I mean? They're, they're kind of like watching to see, are you legit or are, do you have a hidden agenda? I want to know if you have a hidden agenda. So they're watching very carefully. The counterphobic six does that. And I'm just telling you, if they don't follow through, or if they smell a rat, they will tear the authority figure down. It's just the opposite. Can I speak to that? Because yeah, I, yeah. I think even deeper than authority, like, you know, and what you mentioned at the beginning, um, the 
at the core of a six is is the need for safety. And so the authority figure in whatever scenario is usually the one to either provide safety or threaten safety. Right. And so I think I think we gravitate towards authority because we're looking to someone to say it's either safe or it's not safe here. Mm. And um and so it's it's less about our need to be near or tethered to authority and it's more about for me at least it's more about my need to feel safe. Right. So I think a lot of people think that it's an either-or equation. Mm-hmm. You're either phobic or counterphobic. But actually, sixes are on a continuum. And I think they just fluidly move, depending on the situation, they vacillate between these two poles, you know? And as you were saying, Katie, you can go from one to the next in a minute, you know? Uh, so that's phobic and counterphobic. So you guys want to add anything to that? That's an important feature for people to know about? No? Okay, we got a story from Katie, so that's a that's a good. I start. think it's really confusing to our spouses, maybe. Okay, okay, let's talk about that. Like, why like, why is it confusing to your spouses? Uh, because one minute we're like super sure, and the next minute we're like, I don't know, I, you know. I don't, I don't, okay, know. let's talk just, about let's talk mean, about doubt and you know self doubt and doubting others, doubt? questioning yourself and questioning others. Like, that's uh, a very big feature in the life of a six. Jill, you look like oh, you're ready yeah. to go. Yeah, I I would say the thing that came to my mind when Leslie was saying that is thinking about how, um, you know, I'm in an, a, an apprentice program right now, studying the Enneagram with our friend Suzanne. And a lot of people in the group have said, I have a really hard time seeing you as a six, or I have a hard time identifying a six. Like, who is a six? They're hard to pin down. Because um, when you hear the description of fear and whatever, a lot of sixes don't present that way. But I think um, I, I really you know, vacillate between those two extremes of like, I will present as very confident or assertive or um, competent or something. And then, you know, as Leslie was saying, in the next minute inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Was that the right thing to say? I don't even know. And I'll like replay a scenario in my mind and think, and sometimes even talk out loud to myself, like, like I'm having a conversation that that already happened and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) I don't know maybe I'm the only one but I'm like replaying it I'm like replaying it like yeah that was good oh that was bad you know so I'll come across as confident and they have no idea that inside I'm really having a lot of self-doubt about Mm. what I said someone once told me about sixes that they're like ducks they look calm on the surface but underneath the water you see their little their little feet going like at a million miles an hour so can I say two things about that this is Francie I would say two things about that first of all I think that our so you talk about with ones how their constant narrative is that self-critical voice. I think we have a constant worst-case scenario voice that we don't even understand. Right. And so that, like, all of a sudden I've, I've become much more tuned to it. And so something will happen, and I'll think, you know, oh, my gosh, this thing is going to happen. And then, like, I go, oh, that's, like, not actually going to happen. Like, that's a very dramatic response to that. Um, but it's, like, because it's going on in our heads all the time. I think the other reason that people don't understand our fear sometimes is we are who you want in a crisis Mm -hmm. because we think the worst thing is going to happen. And when it does, we're like, we knew this was going to happen. We are ready. (laughs) We told you. We are here. It already did happen (laughs) in our head. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was way worse in our heads than it actually (laughs) So we're experts at this. Yeah. And then we're calm. And we're totally calm. (laughs) Yes. And that's the thing. I feel like little things can make me so, I can't find a parking place. I'm like crazy girl. If literally this happened at my house, the ceiling. You couldn't find a parking space at your house? No, no, that's not that part. The ceiling fell in at our house. We had like flooding come through our roof. I was literally home alone. The ceiling fell down. I was like, 
fine. I was like, okay, see, something terrible is actually happening. Yeah. I'm good. Ready yes. to go. <laughs> Something's actually I totally yes. relate to I that 1,000%. Yeah. Me too. All right, tell me, tell me what. Just, I just feel I don't have anything better than that to yeah. add. I'm just like, <laughs> yes, amen. So this worst-case scenario planning. So everyone in this, you know, the five, six, and seven, the fear triad, right, they're all thinkers and planners. Right, they're in the that headspace, right? So when they uh, uh, encounter life, they encounter it first at the level of thinking, right? So I'm in the feeling triad. I start with feeling, right? If you were in the gut of the instinctual triad, right, you would get it at the level of instinct, you know, like it would just come at you in the body, you know. And so um, this is a really important thing. This worst case scenario thinking. So. Tell me about that. You guys, I mean, if you're typical sixes, you're constantly scanning the horizon looking for what could go wrong next, right? Because fives go in with their fear, right? Sevens go out, they externalize, they deal with it externally. And you all kind of like go, what do I do with my fear? You know what I mean? Like I, I'm sort of out of touch with my fear, um, which again is one of the reasons those authority figures are so important or for example, or your, you know, if you're a church person, your theology, your belief system, or your political beliefs, you know, those become defining sort of things for you. But I want to talk about worst case scenario planning. And Francis, you said you spoke about it beautifully. Are you literally always thinking like, okay, I'm getting ready, like when you're driving down the street or when you're at home, like what what does it look like? I mean, I think I think I'm a little bit asleep to that, but I think yes, I do relate to that. But I'm not fully aware of that mm -hmm. like if there's unawareness in me like that is deaf that's 90 percent of probably what i'm unaware of is just i don't i don't feel like i think that but then if like my husband rings up something like oh yeah i totally like went there in my head <laughs> or i can daydream about worst case scenarios mm -hmm. so like it's almost for me more like what if this did happen Right. Um, so it's not like this panic, like nail biting, like hmm, I wonder, 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 wonder. It's more just like, what if, what if it did? What would I do? What What would I look like in that moment? What would this look like in the moment? What would it change? So I have to play it out to make me feel safe. But I don't think in the moment I'm like I'm craving safety. Yeah. Right. You know. So that's auto self, right? When you yeah. don't have very much self awareness, mm -hmm. and you're just in Scooby Doo you know, the zombie yeah. thing, we're all in that in our numbers, you know, when we're not self-aware, we're just in trance, you know, we're in the trance of our personality, of our number. And the beauty of the Enneagram is self-knowledge that leads to self-awareness and then the capacity in the moment to respond to life based on our knowledge versus react, always in reactivity, which I think most of the planet is that when they're not very self-aware, it's like constant. I, I like to say that it's like being trapped in a phone booth with an angry wasp. That's reactivity. You know, you're just swatting around and bumping into people and, you know. So do you guys have any stories about what's this like for, for you, Jill or, or Leslie? This whole worst case scenario planning thing is a way of fear management, you know? Hmm. My heart's beating in my throat right now because I feel... <laughs> <laughs> What if he asked you this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, But you already asked us this um, in, in my mind. Um, uh, man, I, I, I just am thinking back to my 2016, the year 2016 for me was like the realization of, of a lifetime of fear. Mm. And, and that it didn't matter how prepared 
I was for that. And, and I think that's really what I've learned as a six is that it really doesn't matter how many trails you run down in your mind and you say, what if this happened? What if that happened? I think there's still like a merciful thing that God does. And he goes, all right, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. Mm. And, and so, uh, 2016 started for me with a, a miscarriage at six weeks and it ended with a surgery to find out if I had thyroid cancer. And so, you know, it was bookended with just chaos. And then in the middle, it was all kinds of church leadership, misalignment, family drama, like everything in my life felt turbulent and unsafe. And so there were days where I literally was just laying on my back on the floor. I couldn't do anything else. And and that was my compulsion. My compulsion mm. wasn't get up and do something. My compulsion was I, I can't. Mm. And, um, and I remember in January through the miscarriage, I just, I remember hearing the Lord go, okay, so this was the worst case scenario, losing losing a pregnancy. Mm. You get pregnant, you lose a pregnancy. Worst case scenario, right? Is God still good? Absolutely. There was so much mercy in that for me because I didn't, I didn't lose my faith and I, I didn't lose myself in the process. And really like through that, through that season, um, there was also this underlying, like, who's the true authority for me in my life? And is it me or is it my dad or is it my pastor or is it my husband or is it my faith, my religion, whatever, who's my true authority. And, um, and all signs just pointed right back to God. And, and so that, I feel like through last year, that kind of, um, it just, it became more the real foundation instead of just the thing that I said was my foundation. Mm. Cause for so long it was worst case scenario was my foundation. I was in control because I had run down all the scenarios. And so then when all the scenarios play out, how do you, what do you do? What do yeah. you do? Wow. Thank you for, for, you know, being so yeah. self-disclosing, you know, I mean, I, I think it's so helpful for people to hear about, you know, the real life nitty gritty of what it's like to be a particular type of, of person. Joe, do you have anything you want to add to that? Gosh, I, I totally agree um, with everything these women have said. I was thinking about um, when you asked the question, do you walk around thinking worst case scenario all the time? I was thinking, no, I don't. I don't, but why don't I anymore? And I was thinking it's because I've had to face a thousand worst case scenarios. Mm. And that has been the faith building thing in my life. I wish it wasn't. I wish it was something freaking else, you know, <laughs> but it's not. It That's what it is. Yeah. I keep having to face worst case scenarios, you know. And um, so have chosen to try to um, press into that and press into the fear. And I have found faith on the other side of that. And does that mean that I'm not going to worst case scenario? No, I can go there in a second. Um, the other thing I was going to say, a story that came to mind, I was hiking at Radnor with a friend and um, she's a four and she's just one of my dearest friends when we were hiking. And um, I was feeling great. I mean, I was feeling awesome. I wasn't feeling anxiety or anything. And like within two seconds, I just put my hand up and like held her back. And there was like a snake on the path. Mm. And, um, and she was like, I'm always going to hike with you because you notice everything. <laughs> and I was like, I do. Like, I think I'm scanning. Yeah. I, I think to answer your question on the other side, I am always scanning in a way that I don't even realize, even mm. when I'm feeling good. Right. I'm just like, we're walking, we're talking. Whoop, hold on, there's a snake. Okay, keep going. <laughs> you know, I just can't turn it off. So yeah. it's like it's like sort of a, um, a 
sort of a constant state of vigilance. And I, I don't know any difference. Yes, and mm. I think you're. I think it's a. This has been like such a beautiful description of what that looks like. So sometimes we're worried about the worst case scenario. Sometimes we're just playing out what if what happens, and sometimes we're just being vigilant. Like it can take mm. all different That's forms. Great. But there's this way, and I think part of when you talk about being aware, I think we thought this was like what other people do, right? Like, isn't everyone else? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's not something wrong with us. Like this is what everybody's doing. I mean, I think that's part of waking up to your personality is you live in it so much. That's what you think everyone is like. Mm -hmm. And then when you read it in the book and you're like, oh, that's not the message in everyone else's head. Okay, but I think there is the worst case scenario thing for sure. But that was a beautiful description of the different forms that can take, Mm. I think. I want to just jump on something that Leslie said that I think is Wonderful. You know, there is a correlating or antidotal virtue, right, for each type. So if your deadly sin is fear, you know, I think most people think that the answer is courage, right? That's the, but it's not because there's just never enough courage that you can manufacture, you know, on your own. Um, The typical sort of what teachers generally say is the antidotal virtue is faith, And now there are a lot of people listening who don't self-identify as Christians. And so it may be we could use higher power, we could use the divine, you know, whatever it is. It really is about this faith that there is something greater than you that has, that's a safety net, right? That has your back and that um, the worst may happen, but, you know, you're going to be okay. And for those of you listening who love sixes or are sixes, I think it's so important because for whatever reason, sixes tend to forget past successes, like how they were able to cope in the past and make good decisions because they're very doubtful about their capacity to make good decisions. You know, so they're always running around asking other people who they perceive to be the authorities, right, or, or know better than they do. And, and so I just think, you know, when I'm with a six that's in a, you know, what I call a doubt attack, you know, I just say, now let's, let's just talk about the things that you've been through in the past that you navigated beautifully or, you know, the higher power, God, whoever was able to, to be there and sustain you and be behind you. And they go, oh yeah, I forgot. It's almost like every new problem is the first time they've had to face a problem. And it's like, no, 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 think back. You've been through a lot and you've done really well. Is that a good thing for you guys? Is that a good sort of tip for people out there to to be aware of? I would say, yeah. I I think like a a place I can go phobic would be um, sometimes I think the fear is the courage that it takes to be loyal to myself Mm. or or to remain loyal to myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. So it takes a lot of courage sometimes to remain faithful to my own whatever that may be. Beliefs, Mm. um, using my voice, speaking up, whatever that is. Um, And so loyal to my own self can be really hard. You know, there's a great... Uh, she's a Buddhist teacher who I happen to love. Her name is Pema Chodron. Do you guys know Mm. Pema Chodron? You've heard the name. So... Um, she has a wonderful book and it's also on, you can get an MP3 of it on Audible. Uh, it's called When Things Fall Apart hmm. is the name of the, the teaching series. And in it, she, she uses this phrase, Katie. Um, first of all, it's great for sixes because it's about what do I do when things fall apart? Like, like, how do I think? It's really all about thinking, right? 
But she uses the phrase, and I use it all the time now, unconditional self-friendship. Is that an awesome phrase? And I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about, Katie, if I'm not wrong, which is, you know, to be for myself, you know, to be on my own side in life, you know. And I think that's great for every number, especially as they do their work with compassion and kindness for themselves rather than shaming themselves into a new space, which never works, right? To say, no, I'm going to go about the work of transformation uh, with unconditional self-friendship, you know? I feel like, and something to add to that is um, is what I've experienced in my friendship with Katie. So we're, we're both sixes. We've been friends for eight years. Yeah, it's been eight years. And um, and just in the last couple of years, realized we're both sixes. But um, I think there can be a, a dangerous side to two sixes being friends with each other if they're in an unhealthy place and, mm. and the world is out to get you and everything is horrible and terrible and, and you're afraid of everything. But the healthy side is that that we can stand together and go, it's really not as bad as you think it's, it is. And, mm. and and we get to be almost a, a mirror to one another and to and to remind to help Katie remind herself for Katie to help me remind myself um, there's a there's a beauty in how you were made and what you were made to be and and you know it's really easy to go off the rails mm. at any given moment um, but in that relationship I feel like there's an understanding that I've been given in having that friendship mm. and um, and I, I think that's important for sixes because if sixes struggle with trust, then we're, we're, you know, monitoring every relationship, measuring every conversation. And so it's really important for us to find the people that we do trust and lean even more heavily on those relationships. Right. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that the two of you don't get into this bad feedback loop where you're just fueling each other's anxieties and playing totally it Totally not. No. <laughs> if it is, it's just, we said we were going to start our own podcast, but... <laughs> They'd probably have to bleep it all out. <laughs> It'd be like an intro and then bleep, bleep, bleep. And then our song would be like bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> so, Jill, bleep. I want to ask you yeah. I want to ask nope. you a question. Yeah, so you're sure. in this this wonderful apprentice program with our, our pal Suzanne. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about fear for a second because really sixes, fear isn't doesn't really capture what they experience. Can you just tell folks what that is? What what is the actual feeling that they have? Anxiety? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, right, the anxiety thing. Yeah, because fear, I think Suzanne defines it as fear is like legitimate. Like there is a bear jumping out at me and I'm afraid. Yeah, there's a guy with a hockey mask and a chainsaw chasing you around. Anxiety is all the potential things, you know, and I have almost never been right about what they are. Mm. Almost never. I mean, I have very good intuition about people. But sometimes I have been very wrong. Mm. And I um, I would say I have all the things that were worst case scenarios were not things that I expected or anticipated. Mm. You know, um, well, I will give you one example, just a personal example. My dad died at 56. He was a, um, a, a Baptist deacon, didn't drink at all and died of cirrhosis of the liver, mm. you know, autoimmune. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make sense to somebody in the thinking triad. There, there's no predicting that. There's no, there's nothing. And so pretty soon, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to predict these things. I'm not going to be able to predict these things. Um, it doesn't stop me from trying, but um, that's what anxiety means to me. It's, um, and I have to remind myself when I'm bringing up my productive thinking 
Jill, you have never, almost never been right mm. about what those things are and the things that you thought would happen, like you're going to die of skin cancer or this or that. <laughs> they're not happening. They're right. not happening. You're fine. Yeah. So it's weird. Wow. Yeah. So that anxiety, you know, every, so for me as a four, the interior wallpaper in my life, you know, is envy. And for you all, it's that anxiety. It's a buzz. And you may not even be aware of it. It's like Muzak. Remember Muzak, like in elevators, oh, like yeah. there's really bad music in the background? Well, we're really aware of that, though, because we're you aware are? of everything. <laughs> but are you aware we, of the anxiety, or does it sometimes just buzz in the background and, and you don't even I can't really... feel my legs half the day. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you can't feel your legs I half mean, the day? When I get anxious, I can't feel my legs. It's like when, when I can't feel your when legs. When you see a cop you on the side of the road and you're, do you're definitely speeding. Oh, my gosh. My husband's always like, Katie, why do you go... Every time there's a cop. And the, all the feeling goes out of your body. I, I don't have a body at that point. Really? No. I just have eyes. Do you just naturally... <laughs> do you, I, I am just a point of awareness in the universe. That is it. But so, see, we use our humor to make ourselves feel better about our fear. And mm -hmm. so, like, I'm constantly, like, making my own self laugh to go... <laughs> I can't feel these things. Okay, so everybody, I have to you, laugh a about them. Six, though, I think you're being a healthy six that you can laugh at it. Okay, talk sure. about that. Talk about that. I mean, I think that like what we're talking about, like this thing now that when we are worried that we try to stop ourselves, that we try to be aware when we're going down this, when we're feeling anxious. I think that is the signs of a healthy six versus the just feed. I think you can feed it. You know, unhealthy people, I feel like when they're anxious, they read the news. For goodness sakes, I mean, oh, I try no, to read the news as little as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so I think. This is part of being healthy is like we laugh. We go, oh, we're doing this thing. We push back against it. To me, that like, seems totally healthy. Mm. Yeah. In fact, um, one of the reasons I love six. Now, Katie, you and Randy are dear friends of my wife, Anne, and I. And Hey, say that again. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, say it again. Continue. And I have to say that Katie has gotten on a roll before in our house. You know, I go over dinner or something, and I have been laughing so hard I've had to leave the room. Did you pee your pants? I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. I need to wear a diaper. It yeah. depends She's every one of time the she comes over. people yeah. I've ever met. Oh my in gosh. My life. And, and you know, Woody yeah. Allen. George Carlin, I think, I was can't a real counterphobic right six. John Stewart. John Stewart. Come on. George Costanza. Oh, from that's Seinfeld. Not, that's not, no, we don't no, really want to be associated Stewart, no. with George yeah. Costanza. But you know, it's like, what do I do? What do I do? It's like yeah. this, you know, yeah. and, and they're already worst case scenario yeah. thinking. And But what happens is with he six. He was so self-destructive. Well, okay. Yeah. So, you is know, Kristen Wiig on Bridesmaids a six? Yes. In the airplane oh, scene? Maybe. Yeah. We send text yeah. images of, of, of that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> she so. was so frightened to fly. Yes. So she well, got intoxicated. But don't you think any number can be, I mean, I think, you know, I've been, had periods in my life where I was really afraid to fly, you know, but, yeah. but you're right. I mean, I think a six is more susceptible to, you know, those kinds of uh, anxious responses to any situation that, that, you know, presents threat in the yeah. environment. But, um, sixes, especially when they're healthy, they can take their anxieties and name them aloud, right? To other people who don't necessarily share them and then amp them up or exaggerate them just about 5% <laughs> and turn it into the funniest material ever. Oh, yeah. It is hysterically funny, right? I, I think love we're that. funny. <laughs> we're You're hilarious. asking us to say I we're, think we're funny. Katie's you are here funny. my elbow. Yeah. I mean, I playing with her elbow fat. One thing people don't talk about a lot of, with sixes, it's just the anxiety. <laughs> and so they, they imagine this person being this just like ball of nerves. But sixes often present as really funny. Oh my gosh, yes. As really witty or 
you know. We play out all the conversations. It's not just the scenarios. It's the conversations that we play out. In our- so I'm, I'm at most, most minutes of the day, I'm having a conversation with myself. Ooh. So then when I'm around other people, I, that's, what he, that's what comes out of me is like the conversation I'm having with myself. And then if there's other sixes around, good Lord. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's two people feeding the wrong wolf. No, is it's that, the right wolf. It's the best. What's he talking Wait, about? It's the, the fattest wolf. wolf in the forest. Because he's been fed yes. well. <laughs> the fear wolf. Yeah. The funny wolf. The funny fear wolf. You know what I would say, though? As you're sitting here talking about, like, the, so we're in the thinking triad. And I have a lot of friends that are twos, and I relate a lot to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just being raised in the church and... <laughs> got to bring cash roll and you know those you kinds of things cash roll? cash roll but like you said in your podcast like i'm a two-ish six you know like i want to give but really i don't want to give like everything all the time but you're taught kind of to do that but regardless of that i have a friend who's a two she moved and she's in the feeling triad and when she moved i went to my head of like but it's going to be better for your family you're going to get more house. You're going to be at peace. You're getting away from this. And like, I'm confronting it with logic and loyalty and like, this is, this is good. And this is, this is what's right in my head. But she was feeling all of it. Mm. And I, we missed each other on that. And I think what she needed from me was to feel some of that with her, Mm -hmm. which I honestly was probably incapable of doing. Like, I, I couldn't even yeah. feel. I'm like, but no, I mean, we'll talk all the time. Like, I'm the loyalist. So, mm. like, nothing changes. Right. But for her, I think she needed more from me to feel or to or at least address the feeling in the room because mm. that was the elephant for her. And then maybe what maybe what I needed was just to say, like, no, it's, yeah, like, we're going to be fine. Like, it is, it is a positive opportunity. Mm. And so to meet each other more in the middle instead of being on different streets, Right. You know, and so I have to, for me, I have to remind myself, not what other people are necessarily like, oh, she's a two, she's a three. Not, not addressing it from that perspective, but to say, this person might be needing something different mm. than what I'm needing because this is how I think, but maybe this isn't how they mm-hmm. think. And so, like, I need to meet them where they're at and maybe we can yeah. figure out a solution here mm. on feeling with each other. Right. So you're, that ability to, in the moment, that self-awareness to realize this, this is the lens through which I see the world, but this person doesn't see the world that way. They're, they're not of the same personality. They're not the, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to the point now where I'm not saying, you know, this is my number. I, I'm getting to right. the point where I'm saying this is the style or the number with which I most identify because we have so many other features of other stuff. I right. just say, this is the one that I gravitate toward most instead of I am a four. It's like, no, that's the, this is the style I most identify with, you know, in the world. Um, I was just going to say, I love that you say that. I don't have any problem saying I'm a six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I definitely am. That's so interesting because before this, we were talking about how many people, I mean, I had a very hard time figuring out my number and you were saying that's a common six phenomenon. So, which I think is a helpful thing for you to say right. a little bit about, because I do, I mean, I spent forever trying to figure out what my number was. Yeah. Ridiculous amount of time. So, and now I'm like, totally own it like you, Jill. Yeah. But I think that's a good thing for you to talk about because I feel like that's a common, it sounds like a common phenomenon. Did everyone? here like you instantly thought you were six no i pretty much knew right away okay yes wow ian took me on a walk (laughs) (laughs) 
Ian took me to his house. Your husband was there. He was there. like, do you have fear? I was like, I mean, Your husband was there, so let's not get weird about this. <laughs> <laughs> My husband was there, everyone. So, um, no, you took me on a walk. Yeah. Um, and, and Well, you asked to go out. Can you kind of like, let's help figure, me, figure so, this out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But like, you asked me a question about fear, and I was like, you're like, is fear a normal place for you to go? I was like, yeah. And you were like, really? I was like, totally. And you're like, you're six. No, I didn't quite say it. Like, but I would never tell you you're this. I would say, oh. like, you're right. I, I just ask a lot okay, of questions. Okay, maybe you're six, Kitty. I don't know. I, well, yeah. sometimes I'll say to somebody, it sounds to me like this is a number you might spend some time really thinking about, but I never tell somebody with any, d- 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 you know, like mm. I am, you know, sort of like the guru of the Enneagram because I'm not, number one. Number two, I think it's something that people have to own for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I'm always telling people, don't identify other people's type or tell them what you think they are because chances are, one, you're going to get it wrong. Two, you're robbing them of the joy of their own journey of self-discovery if you mm-hmm. do that, you know. And sixes, by the way, because they're looking to outside authority figures, well, just take your, take your word for it if they're not very self Well, I still doubted it because I had to read about it to Well, of course myself. you doubted it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. just to like, yeah, you may have said that, but like I had to self-discover for myself. So someone, I'm oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, one of the things you told me that was super helpful that I have not heard a lot of people say about the Enneagram. So I initially thought that I was a three. Um, and I think I have a lot of three qualities. And one of the things that when you and I talked and you did not tell me what my number was, you helped me come to my number myself. So I appreciate that. Um, but you said we so identify stress as bad stress. When people talk about the Enneagram where you go, that people always, they hear their stress number as their bad number. And you talked to me about how it can be your good stress. So like in work, I'm very much a three. And you explained that to me beautifully. And I don't hear a lot of people say that about the Enneagram. Mm. And it was super helpful to me because I think I had always heard your stress number is your bad number and you're the bad traits of that. And you said your stress number, you can be in good stress and you can use the values of that stress number. And that was super helpful. Totally. Thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people, first of all, the Enneagram system is, I I say this a lot, is not an x-ray. It's a watercolor, right? So it's not like, oh, I can see everything. It's like a blood test, no blood test for this, right? And what I mean by watercolor is like, let's face it, it, it can't capture the mystery of the human person, you know? So it's just giving us sort of a collage, you know? It's like, almost like we're looking in a mirror that's dim, but it's just a little lighter, but it's still foggy, you know? We're, we're on the journey of unfolding in terms of spirituality and understanding who we are, you know? And to your point, Francis, so if you, you know, we're not behaviorists, you know, so in other words, it's not predetermined. I go to the low side of three every time I'm <laughs> under pressure or stress. But let's say it worked. And we were talking at that time about you were leading conferences and you would go and you, you would. So obviously you're under pressure. There are people there. You're doing your job. You can choose in the moment not to go to that low side of three where maybe you're flaunting and, you know, talking about yourself and self-marketing and promotion. Instead, you can say, you know what? I'm under pressure. I can go to the high side of three and access all the good stuff about threes that I need in this moment to appear charismatic, a good leader. You know what I mean? Like all the good stuff, right? Now, where do guys, where do sixes go when they're in a good place usually? What do they start nine. to look like? Yeah, nine. So what's that like for you? What's, what is nine going to the high side, the healthy side of nine when you're feeling good? What does that mean? Like describe that for people. Well, I'm... I'm married to a nine, and so, <laughs> and in my family, I have three children, and all of us are three sixes and nines, except for my daughter, who's a four. Oh, there's always so that one four in the mix, we right? We have 
and I've talked about this before, but we kind of move to each other's energies. We kind of really get each other because we're always moving around, you know, like what you said in 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 your work, you're three like in my work, I feel like I have to use a lot of three energy to survive. <laughs> well, you're a performer. Um, I'm a perform a performer. And so I have to turn off those neuroses. I have to do my job. I have to take action. I have to show up. Um, but if I'm in comfort, if I'm just I I feel I can be very laid back. Mm. I don't need to call the shots. I don't need to be in control. I don't need to pick the restaurant. I don't need to anything. I, I really can let my friends. I have a couple of girlfriends that are ones, and we we have a great time together. And if they always have an opinion about where to go or what to do, and I'm just so happy to to go along. I don't need to make the decision. And so because I feel so comfortable with them and so happy and so I feel a lot of that nine when I'm in that space so let me ask you guys all a question because I think this is great and and Jill I'm just going to start with you for a second okay. because you've got three sixes and nice but you got one four yep so you got one yep going on in that mm-hmm. that uh, now threes are obviously are and I mean in, this is my best guess right right sure kids right you decide for yourself great point this is our best guess what's yeah. it like to be a six parent oh god Ian <laughs> Um, I care so much. I just care so much. Like, I could cry thinking about them. It just makes my heart want to explode with love. Mm. Um, I just, I care so much about them growing up and being emotionally well. I want them to be safe. I want them to be loved. Um, I want to know who they are. I'm, like, interested in them as people. And, gosh, I want to control I want to control. That's the dark side of it. Mm. Things that I can't control. And so um, it's really hard for me to let go. And I'm really trying. Mm. That's a lot of the work that I'm doing. But it is so hard because um, I, I'm i a loyalist. I would literally fight for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, one time I told my daughter, I'm sorry, Christian music fans. Um, I told my oh, daughter. Oh, no, just go for it. We're all yeah, in, right? Whatever. Um, you already checked out at the Kendrick Lamar reference. Um, <laughs> no, we're very happy about Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> no, I mean people that might be offended by the story. But my daughter um, is in middle school, and she had a kid that was like, like threw her lunchbox down and was like, you can't sit here. And um, so on my, and if I put my like, my hat on where I'm like, that's really hard. You know, I'm trying to be a good parent to this four. I'm like, that's so hard. That's so sad. I'm so sorry. And my six is like, oh my gosh, let me go in and like fight for you and whatever. And so at one point I just said, she was just not dealing with it. She wasn't standing up for herself. And I was like, you need to stand up for yourself. You need to go in and take care of this. I don't want to take care of it for you. You like, you need to have your voice. And she was just kind of hemming and hawing about it. And I was like, look, here's the deal. If you don't, I will go in there and I will kick his ass. <laughs> and so you just tell him. And I so either you go deal with this like in a, like you're supposed to do and like good parents are supposed to handle this or I will kick his ass. And so she went in and like very dutifully told him, I need to talk to you or my mom's going to kick your ass. <laughs> that is hysterical. Yeah. So there's that. That is She borrowed your courage. <laughs> so I feel all the things. I feel this immense loyalty and like I want to fight for you and then I want to control the outcome and then I also want to let them be their own people. Mm. It is very in the words of Leslie, it's very confusing. (laughs) So Suzanne and I talk about this in the book and we're coming toward the end of our time but I I think this is important. So 
we live in one of the most anxious times in history. Like this is a very fearful, weird world. And without getting into politics, because I'm not sure, you know, that discussion is going to be very generative for people. But I'm just curious, how do you survive in an age of anxiety and where there's all this polarization? And I mean, I'm just curious, like, and you can talk about politics without going into a spiel, but like, how do you deal? Like, it's the hardest time, I think, for sixes more than any other number. So what, how do you deal? I think for me, um, I actually look at it more as opportunity and less fear Mm. because I think it's more of a time to come together. Mm-hmm. Very um, six right there, right? Community, But I, but I really together. do. And so, like, whether it's a neighborhood, whether it's a town, whether it's our nation, whether it's a small group of people, I think it's really, really important for people to um, work together towards mm-hmm. something, no matter what color, age, whatever, anything, um, any differences, and just lay them down. So, like, Houston floods happening right now. And... I literally, like you were talking about, like, I don't have kids, but (laughs) the feeling you have about your kids and, like, you love them so much it makes you want to cry. Like, seeing my home state, whether no matter what state, but seeing all of those people Mm -hmm. helping each other, like, it it makes my heart sore. Mm -hmm. And it it undoes me um, to a a degree that it's it's the gospel. Mm -hmm. Where it's just like this. This is what it's all about: mm-hmm. is everyone coming together. This is what heaven is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Where like it doesn't matter what we look like, what size we are, what color we are, what age. We're all so different, but we're working towards something together. And I just I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's it just it makes my heart melt. And I love that about sixes, Francie. What about you? How are you surviving in this age of anxiety? So I love what you said. That all oh, is so beautiful, Katie. I I will say that I th- feel like we're also in a information overload. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Jen Hatmaker said something recently about like we were not made for a 24-7 news cycle. Mm-hmm. Like when we were young, I mean, I'm older than some of you, but like people watch the news for an hour at night, the end. And now it's just constant and someone's always in the situation room and like everything is a crisis. And so I think for me, some of coping is to like limit my exposure to that mm-hmm. um, because I think that it, it is, it can just feed anxiety and I don't think that that's helpful at all. Um, and I think some of it, what you talked about, about faith. And you and I, when we talked, we talked about that great Julian of Norwich saying about all is well, all should yes. be well, all should be well. And I think about that a lot and sort of just try to mantra that. But I know for me, some of it right now is that I love what you said, and I do think it's a great time to come together. But I also think we have to be self-protective about not fueling our anxiety and not clicking on the news and listening to things and getting sucked in there. And they're all nodding. You can't say everyone's nodding. Um, But to try to protect ourselves Mm -hmm. in some ways. Leslie, how are you doing it? Um, Yeah, I agree with all that. I think um, I just listened actually to a TED Talk from uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Mm. And and it was on how do we— how do we deal with the fear together? So we live in this crazy age. It's 12 minutes. Please go listen to it. It's amazing. Um, and he talks about this togetherness and and that there's a responsibility on the us of our society right now. Um, but I was also studying the Hebrew word for justice this morning and righteousness. And, and you see those two words together a lot in scripture and Old Testament scripture, uh, righteousness and justice, but this this word sedek is um, is justice, and it's that it's that thing in us that wants to make everything right. And a lot of times we would do that in a way that 
that isn't merciful because sometimes what's just isn't merciful. And, but there's also this Jewish word, this Hebrew word that's tzedakah. And so you, you take the root word tzedek, justice, and you add uh, the, the Hebrew letter he, which is the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and that adds mercy. Mm. And so it's justice with mercy. And so there is this movement, um, I think, and what I've seen rise up in our culture and, and what's rising up in me is, um, is to help make things right, but to do it in a merciful way mm. and, and, and not to shame and not to marginalize and not to um, yell or throw stones, but to come alongside the people that really need the help the most and, mm. uh, and find a way to partner together the, the us of, of our society and bring Sedeka this justice with mercy. I love that. Yeah. Jill, how about you? Um, just to keep, I'll keep mine short since I've talked so much, but I feel like um, I, I'm really struck by the fact that none of us have said we're the ones freaking out the most. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's true in my experience. I mean, I'm very bothered by things I see. I'm very bothered by the discord. I'm really... I hate the 24-hour news cycle that Francie was talking about. I try to protect that. But I also feel like, all right, now's our time, Sixes. Mm, This is what we're good at. Mm. We're good at uniting people. I mean, I have friends that are every belief, every political spectrum, Mm -hmm. you name it. And so I feel like we are uniquely equipped in this time. And my friends who are having a harder time are not Sixes. Mm. Interesting. They have a lot of anger or they take in the world through feeling. Mm. And we're bringing up our productive thinking. (laughs) We're bringing up our productive thinking if we're working in health and saying, all right, that doesn't make any sense. What are Mm. we going to do? Where am I going to, how am I going to vote? Where am I going to, for me, it's money, time. I'm all about the neighborhood on the ground. Mm. I'm not getting lost in the theories up here. I'm like, okay, where am I going to spend my time? Where am I going to, how am I going to vote? How am I going to give my money? How am I going to? Volunteer tutoring, what am I going to do? So I, you know, I think we're all, um, we have something to offer in this time. You know, I think you're, you're, you're illuminating some of dimension of sixes that I love, um, which is they're very practical and down-to-earth people who think precisely like that. It's like I, I can't get lost in the abstractions about this moment. You know, well, I'm going to get out of bed today, and I'm going to put my shoes on and do the next right thing. You yep. know, in AA, we talk about that. Just yep. do the next right thing, yep. you know. Okay, so at the end of every show, I myself usually come up with some transformational tips for people who are beginning their work or in their work to become their most authentic selves. And real quickly, if you would, can you just give sixes or people who love sixes and want to encourage them one tip of something they can do to move toward wholeness and um, their their best self? Stop asking everyone for their opinion. You know what the best decision for you is. So every decision you make, you don't need to ask every single one of your friends what they would do and vote and whatever. You can make decisions for yourself. Oh, that's a good one. Good one. Katie, you got one? You look scared. You look anxious. But I'm a six. Ah, okay. Um, I would say trust yourself. Mm. You've got good ideas. Mm. And you really do. Like, I, there are days that go by sometimes where I'm like, man, I really got it wrong. But today I got it right, and I'm okay with admitting that. Mm. So celebrating successes yes. when, you, mm. when yeah. you trusted your, inter- are afraid your to internal succeed, guidance. And sometimes success just looks like today yeah. I got it right. So remember, though. 
because that's another thing I want people to hear is that six is success is anxiety because it draws attention to themselves. And that means you're kind of like the, uh, I don't know, the lone, you're out in the field and more exposed than other people Spotlight. to threat. If you're like, oh, look, a success. And then people go, uh-oh, who's going to come get me if I'm out here? And, mm. you know, I'm in the spotlight right now, you know. Leslie, give me a transformational tip for people. Help them know what to do. Um, if you're looking for a safe space mm-hmm. and you can't find it, create it for yourself Ooh. and for other people. Nice. Yeah. I love that. Very practical, down-to-earth, and community-minded. Great. Jill? Um, for me, it's been having to do some things that I'm afraid of and stop sitting on the fence. Um mm. I've, I'm very comfortable working with people. I think that's one of my gifts. But um, I've, you know, been traveling with people, inside people for a long time. And so I, I started grad school this year, and that was terrifying. Ooh, yeah. Awesome. You're studying counseling. I am. Nice. But um, it was terrifying. Let's talk after. So much <laughs> self-doubt. and But I just had to just go, oh, I will never know exactly how this is going to work or financially how it's going to work or you know, whatever. And I just had to make the jump mm. and do it. And it's been one of the greatest gifts to not act out of fear. Nice. So before we go, I just want everyone to know that we had a text string this week that made me laugh my head off. It's when I think Katie, maybe you did. I can't remember who it was. And he said, here's the title for the show. And I don't want people. Oh, it's you, Jill. Oh, okay. Me. Okay. Jill? So I just want to say, this is going to be the title of the show, but I don't want people thinking that a guy came up with it. <laughs> Otherwise, people are going to accuse me of all kinds of, like, you know, being, like, sexist or whatever. Jill, please tell us the name of the show. I don't remember exactly, but I think I said, it's getting sexy in here. <laughs> <laughs> and someone else came up with one today. What was it? Katie said, I'm too sexy for your sexy. Yes! <laughs> and I said, so sexy it hurts. Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah. All so, right. Well, so one of those is going to be the name of this show. But remember, folks, they came up with it, not yeah. me. All right. Hey, you guys, thank you. But we're going we're gonna to do something awesome to close. We're going to sing a song. And Jill, I could have had Leslie do it. I could have had Katie. Who, there's a whole bunch of really great artists in here. But I happen to love this song. I think it just really goes. And it's actually one of the it's few songs. It's a Pierce Pettis song. It's, it, not, it's not even my song. It's a Pierce Pettis song right? that we love. Yeah. We both love this song. Yeah. And you guys jump in harmony wise. If you, if you, if you, well, we're gonna do this. We we we've rehearsed it once in the hallway. The sixes all started sweating again. Oh, <laughs> nervousness. What if we I'm flat? What, if, I, what if I'm pitchy? Yeah, what if I'm like, pitchy? The person who can't carry a tune is moving way far from the microphone. Oh well, you know, go to your three and you can manage the band. That's right. Okay, so um, let's let's sing this song. When you start to doubt if you exist, God believes in you. Confounded by the evidence, God believes in you. When your light burns so dim, when your chances seem so slim, and you swear you don't believe in him, God believes in you When you rise up just to fall again God believes in you Deserted by your closest friends God believes in you When you're betrayed with a kiss And you turn your cheek to another fist It does not have to end like this God believes in you Oh, everything matters If anything 
carries it all Yeah, everything matters no matter how big No matter how small Cause God believes in you Oh, God believes in you When you're so ashamed that you could die God believes in you And you can't do right even though you try God believes in you Yeah, blessed are the ones who grieve The ones who mourn and the ones who bleed In sorrow you sow but in joy you reap God believes in you yeah, blessed are the ones who grieve, the ones who mourn, and the ones who bleed. In sorrow you sow, but in joy you will reap. God believes in you. Oh, God believes in you. Thanks for playing, Ian. Uh, yeah, Pierce Pettis song. Man, I'm no I'm no Andy Gullhorn on uh, your I'm not like your husband. Man, I can't like play all that fancy stuff, but you got the well, basic chords. Obviously, chorus, I right? can't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jill. That was beautiful. Guys, thank you so much, Jill. Thank you for just singing that song so beautifully. I hope today's episode of Typology was, if you're a six, was really helpful and enlightening. And if you love sixes as much as I do, that it, you know, gave you some insight into the way they see the world and how you can encourage them on the journey toward wholeness. If you have questions about the Enneagram or comments about the show, I'd love to hear from you listeners. And it's really easy. You just go to our website, said it at the beginning, we'll say it again, typologypodcast.com and just submit a question or a comment. And don't forget, while you're there, you can download that beginner's chapter, right? Finding your type from uh, Susanna, my book. And you can also download and listen to the episode Introducing Typology and the Enneagram. And uh, again, do me a favor and just leave a review for the podcast. And my friends, that's it for Typology. We'll be back next week. So until then, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Cheers, everybody. Mm-hmm.